0: Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I'll show a picture of my family. Uh, Well, before I do that, let me tell you about the rest of our church family. Like I said, we are passionate about missions. This is our high school group here. Two weeks ago, we went to Houston for our middle school group, and we took about 51 people there and did some VBS and Backyard Bible Club, and in 102-degree weather, cleared lots in—it's the poorest neighborhood in Texas. It's called the Third Ward, right downtown Houston— A few months before that, we went to Vancouver serving. We just love to be able to partner with what God is doing um, all over the world through churches like yours. Um, My biological family, I have a beautiful wife named Katie. We've been married five years, and I have a gorgeous daughter named Hazel. Um, She is the blondie in the picture there. Um, And Hazel is uh, my roommate and my joy and my alarm clock. And she loves to wake me up at 6 a.m. And sometimes if she's really excited, 4 a.m. And so this morning was especially special for me because I got to sleep in until 7 a.m. on my air mattress upstairs, which was special. So this is a great week for me. I get more sleep than I normally do. Um, But Hazel will wake up, and um, the only thing that will distract her is if I hand her my cell phone and just... Like, I'll bring her and I'll try to go back to sleep and I'll just set her next to me and she'll just turn my cell phone over. She doesn't really know what to do with it. She presses a button and then Siri gets confused and yells at her and she'll flip it over again and uh, and she'll just kind of laugh at herself. She laughs at herself a lot. I think she might be crazy. And... Um, <laughs> And she gets distracted so easily from this little cell phone. And there's probably blogs out there that say why well, that's a terrible parenting thing to do. But at 6 a.m., it doesn't matter. All those blogs mean nothing, all right? They're great at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you're full of energy. But at 6 a.m., you hand the phone, you go back to sleep. And so uh, it reminds me how easy it is to be distracted by stuff, and how easy it is for me to be distracted by my phone and by screens. And she loves to take pictures, and she laughs. Um, like whenever we take a picture and she can see herself, she'll smile. She's like, she knows, she's like, that's me and I'm beautiful. She knows it about herself. She just gets so easily distracted. And it just brings me back to this uh, simple question that I challenge myself with, I challenge our students with, um, is are you present in your life? Are you present in your life or are you so easily distracted? Because I think in 2016... It's probably the hardest it's ever been in the history of the world to be fully present before God and fully present before people because we're so distracted. I mean, when else in history did we have in our pockets access to connect with somebody all over the world? The computer that's on your phone is more powerful than the computer that sent a ship to the moon in the 60s. I mean, that's in our pockets every single day. We have screens all around us. We have distractions. We have this fast-paced life. And it doesn't really matter what part of the country you live in. There's just this constant fast-paced life that it's so hard to be fully present before God, before other people, in your daily patterns. I spent a few years living in Houston, and one night I was driving home from uh, somewhere downtown, and I was driving on the interstate. And driving on the interstate in Houston is kind of like the movie Death Race. Um, You're just trying to survive. It's unbelievable. I mean, people, I'm going 85 miles an hour, and somebody in a Mustang comes up speeding and passes me, and it's like a grandma, okay? That's like the Houston traffic going on. And so one night, I'm driving home. It's probably 9.30 at night, 9 o'clock, and I'm pulling off the interstate, and I'm on the exit ramp, and to be honest, I'm kind of distracted. I think I'm playing with the radio or something, and I'm pressing buttons, and I'm kind of looking up, and I'm looking down, and I end up hitting the car in front of me, going like 15 miles an hour. And it's that moment where you're like, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. I'm so dumb. And I'm like freezing because I'm thinking how much damage, how much money this is going to cost me. I'm like getting ready to get out of the car and be yelled at by some Houstonian. And, uh, and I look up, and the person in front of me, like their car's kind of shaking a little bit. And it's some young girl that's, like, dancing to the radio and, like, singing along and, like, grooving in her car and doesn't even realize I hit her. Like, I was so distracted that I hit her car. She was so distracted that she didn't even realize I hit her car. And it was, like, a perfect picture of our culture that we are such distracted people that we get in a car wreck and nobody even notices, okay? I'm like, that is a perfect picture of the culture that we live in. We are so distracted. And what I want us to do is just look at a passage in Scripture that's at a very unique time in the history of the church. It's in John chapter 20. And I want us to look at the danger of being so distracted. The danger of being so distracted. John chapter 20. This is a really unique time because it is right after the only day in the history of the world that Jesus was not alive, that he died. Died on Friday, crucified. Saturday, he is in the tomb. He's dead. And then Sunday morning, which is where we're jumping into the story, um, he has risen. But we're going to see somebody who doesn't know he's risen yet. And she's mourning and weeping. So John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 10 here. We're going to jump a little bit into the story here. Here's what it says. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. I think it's important, we've got to remember who Mary is at this point. Okay, When Jesus met Mary, she was demon-possessed. She was possessed by seven different demons. And a lot of people who don't understand demon possession, that doesn't happen just incidentally. Um, just like when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, in order for someone to be demon-possessed, they have to practice um, any type of Satanism or evil voodoo or witchcraft, and they have to invite those demons. So on seven different accounts, Mary invited that. She was living this evil, broken life. The people that knew her would have said, like if they made a list of the last people that God would ever let into heaven, they would say demon-possessed Mary. And then Jesus comes into her life and points at her and says, I'm going to give you a new life. He casts out the demons. And so Mary Different from me, different from most of us in this room, understands God's grace on such a deep level because she knows what it's like to be living an evil life, exiled from community, and Jesus just instantly gives her this new life. And from that point forward, she's one of those super Christians. She's following Jesus around everywhere he goes. Her whole life is all in on Jesus. A lot of us can relate with being that super Christian. We're here on Sundays. You're a part of home groups or Bible studies. You read your Bible every day. I know a lot of our students are at our student ministry. Every time the door is open, they're there as much as I am. All in on Jesus. That's who Mary is. So imagine the weeping that she has when her follower Or her her leader, her savior, her mentor, her guide in life, her saving grace has died. That's the weeping that we're experiencing here. When I was in high school, I had a fish die, and I cried. And I don't even know if I named the fish, all right? (laughs) And by the way, I didn't even take that picture. I Google imaged dead beta fish, and some sick person posted, like, their fish died and they put on Google image. We live in a sick world, man. Who does, whose fish dies? They're like, I had to put this on Google image. Anyway, I'm the sick person using that picture, all right? So my beta fish dies. I don't even know if you name it because when you're a high school boy, I don't know if it's cool to name a fish. So I think I just called it beta fish. And beta fish died, and I cried. I cried when my beta fish died. I didn't think I would, because I didn't really care about that fish until it died. And then I felt like this heavy burden that I was supposed to take care of this fish. And it died, and I don't even know how it died, because fish can't talk. I I mean, I had no relationship with this fish, and it died one day. And I cried, and to me, that was mourning. I can't really imagine what it'd be like to to lose my spiritual mentor, my savior, the person who rescued me. I know what it's like when my fish dies. But to think of the weeping that Mary went through, I think it's important we understand the brokenness that she's dealing with. There's probably even some, like, some feeling sorry for herself moments because Jesus kind of warned her, like, I'm going to be back, but she's just so broken and has all this junk in her life that she can't remember that, okay? So that's what's going on. Verse 12, here's what happens. Mary sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her woman why are you crying. What an interesting thing to ask a woman who just lost her savior. Why are you, why are you crying? And I don't think they're saying it to be insensitive or to try to not recognize her pain. I think they're saying it because they know that everything's going to be okay. They know the end of the story. They know that Jesus is okay. They know that Jesus is not in the tomb, that he is risen. And so They say, why are you crying? And we read that and we're like, well, we know why she's crying, but I think this moment in itself is important because I think God does that a lot in our lives where we look down and we're so worried about our lives, we're so worried about what's going on, and God's not insensitive to the pain we're going through, but a lot of times we're so worried about things that are in his control that he's like, why why are you crying? Don't you know that I have it, that it's in my hands? It's just such a neat moment of a reminder that Sometimes we just need to be reminded everything's okay. She has nothing to mourn. Goes on. This is where it gets kind of crazy. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. <laughs> Listen, to this. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. This is kind of like a scene out of a comedy where it's like, I miss Jesus. I don't know where he is. Do you know where Jesus is? And Jesus is right there, and she's like, I miss Jesus. She's talking to him, and he's right there, and she still doesn't recognize him. Jesus is right in front of her, and she doesn't even realize it. What an interesting concept. I mean, imagine the guy that you've been following around for years who saved your life, who you've been memorizing his face his teachings, he's standing right in front of her, and she doesn't even realize it. But I feel like we do that sometimes. I think Jesus is right before us. and We're not really fully present to see him. We're kind of distracted. or We don't recognize him, how he's at work. And Jesus is right there before us. And then he talks to her, and she still doesn't recognize him. Going on, it says, Woman, why are you crying? That's second time she's asked that question. Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried Jesus away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. So now she's talking to Jesus, the person that she's been following around. She's like, if you've seen Jesus anywhere, you just let me know. I don't know where he is. It's kind of this ironic, bizarre moment where as a reader you're thinking, how in the world... Could she not see Jesus? It almost seems silly that somebody could be right before Jesus and not notice him. But at the same time, we do that all the time. I do that all the time. That Jesus is right before me, and I don't see him because I'm distracted, because I have so much going on in my life, because I'm not fully present. I do that with my friends. I do that with my family. That so many times, I'm not fully present in the moment, even though somebody is right before me. I think this little story is a reminder to us how easy it is for Jesus to be right in front of us and not see him. And then you see what happens here. Finally, when he says her name, then her eyes are opened and he sees who she is. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. She finally realizes that she's standing before her Savior, that he was there the entire time. Have you ever been so distracted that you missed something that happened right in front of you? I I think we do that all the time. I want to show you guys a quick little video, um, and I want to see if you guys can figure it out. All right, some of you may have seen this before, but it's like a minute long, and then we'll uh, go a little bit longer. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13, but did you see the moonwalking bear? Walking bear the first time. <laughs> That's hilarious. This video kind of messes with our minds because we realize that it's so easy to be hyper focused on one thing and miss something loud and ridiculous right before us. That's why I think it was a moonwalking bear. Jesus is the moonwalking. Bear. I'm just kidding. We're not going there. All right. But here's what I noticed. I watch his video and I think how the enemy does this to me all the time. He tries to get me hyper-focused on one thing or something that I'm mad about or frustrated about or worried about my future that I don't even notice the loud and ridiculous stuff. It's so easy for stuff to just pass by me rather than be fully present in the moment. We aren't present because we're distracted by phones, by computers, by other screens. We're focused more on where we want to be rather than where we are. We're focused on what we did in the past rather than who we are in Christ. We're focused on what we're doing next, on who we'll talk to next. It's so easy to be in conversations and you're thinking about what's next in your schedule, where you got to go next, or who you got to talk to next, that we're not fully present. We're so focused on our next season of life that we're not content on the season of life that God has us in now. And as a result, we miss God. He's right in front of us and we totally miss him. Just like with Mary, we're so focused on our own problems, our own junk, our own anxiety, that we miss that Jesus is standing in front of us the entire time. Even when he tries to speak to us, we're still so distracted by ourselves that we don't realize he's there. You see, God never leaves us. He's never not present. God's never not present. He's always there. A lot of times, he's more quiet than we want him to be, and we mistake his quiet nature with his absent nature. But God's never not present. The only reason we don't hear from him more is because we aren't present. Or we don't recognize when he's at work right in front of us. Just like when he's talking to Mary, and Mary doesn't even recognize him. She thinks that he's the gardener. I want to close with this story. My students have heard this before. I share this a lot because um, this was my salvation moment. When I was 16 years old, um, I went on a trip similar to the one the students are going on now. And Uh, we went to Puerto Rico on a mission trip to build houses. And to be honest, I was the least qualified person to do that. I actually was a little nervous about me doing anything that would build a house for somebody else to live in because I'm terrible at that stuff. So I was like, I'm going to do the most minimal job because if I help build this house at all, then somebody's going to have to come in after me and fix everything that I broke. So I was the guy that handed the hammer to the professional or filled up the water or prayer circled so that I couldn't, or played with the chickens in the yard. I just had to get out of the way, right? Uh, and at night, so we'd build this house in the day, and then at night, we would gather on the beach of Puerto Rico in this outdoor pavilion, probably about this size, but all the walls are kind of wide open. So I want you to imagine you're there. And there's the beach just right over here. And you can just hear the waves crashing. It's a really cool moment. It's beautiful out. It's summertime. So we have this big worship time. And in that moment, I'm frustrated. I'm 16 years old. I've been going to church my whole life. I've been doing stuff on Sunday mornings. But I felt like I'd never really experienced God. I felt like God had never talked to me. And when other people would say that they heard from God or that they'd experienced God or they had this passionate relationship with God, it actually frustrated me because I felt like, well, how come God gave them that but not me? And during this worship time, I'm looking around and I'm seeing my friends that know these songs and they're worshiping passionately. And they're not just singing, but they're worshiping. They're like passionately singing out to God. And I'm like, I've never even heard this song before. Like, I, it, There was just something different in the room and I was frustrated because I said, well, I'm showing up on Sundays. How come I'm not having these experiences? Go out on the beach, and we kind of break up into some more just prayer, meditation time. And I'm just sitting in the sand, and I just kind of begin to duke it out with God. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. And I just begin to break down, and my heart is broken. There's just so many mixed emotions, and I, and I just begin to weep. Something that a 16-year-old boy probably doesn't do too often. But I just broke down and began to cry, and I didn't even know why. I'd never cried like this in my life. But as I began to cry, God began to piece together all these scattered thoughts in my mind. And, and the simple truth he gave me was that it's not that he's never spoken to me. It's that I've never listened to him. That he's always been there. That God is always at work. He's always working in our lives. But I was too distracted to even notice him. It wasn't that he was ignoring me, it was that I was ignoring him. And in that moment, I realized that his grace had been extended to me, and I started my relationship with Jesus when I was 16. Even though I'd gone to church pretty much my whole life, it wasn't until I was 16 that I really understood the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. And From that point on, I decided I wanted to commit my life to helping others not miss God. I felt like there were so many years in my teenage years that if I'd just paid attention more and been more present before the Lord, I would have heard from Him. I would have had a significant relationship with Him. It took me going to a beach to hear from Him. God wants to speak to us. He does. That's why He created us. He's standing right in front of us, ready to meet with us, ready to speak to us, ready to comfort us, ready to answer our prayers. And even if that answer is wait, He's ready and He hears us.